welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwani. So, Dr. Hatfield, let's get out our Bibles together to, to the book of Genesis. And as you're doing that, a season ago, I told you that as a household, for us, as the Strofelts, we've got a couple of rhythms that we practice every week, and we really believe that part of that is what makes us who we are, us. So one of those rhythms is before every meal, and the guys who've come to our house, they can attest to this, we sing a song together. And whether it's in a restaurant or at home, we sing the song, and in Afrikaans, it says, smart like a yet. And at the end of the song, you throw your hands into the air, and you say, woo, like this. And your face, exactly like your face is now, that's how people in restaurants usually react to us singing that song in front of everyone. One of our other rhythms is that on your birthday, one of us, the five of us, you can go and pick out your favorite cereal, the most sugary cereal that you can find in the shops, and then we eat it together for supper, and then we take time just to affirm you as a person. Uh, one of the other rhythms we have is on a Friday, and this is like holy, sacred ground for us. We have homemade pizza and movie night, which is amazing. And one day we'll be able to watch proper movies. For now, it's like animation every week. We've watched all of them, by the way. Um, but we watch that, and before we eat and before we watch, we just stand in a circle, we hold hands, and we just practice thankfulness. What are you thankful for in this week? And if you're five years old like Mia, you get some really interesting answers of what you're thankful for. But these are some of the rhythms. And in fact, on Thursday last week, Shay and I and my wife, we sat together and we said, we want to now ask almost the next season of questions with regard to rhythms. What are the new rhythms that we want to introduce into our family to emphasize some different values as we're going forward? For instance, to be more intentional with our finances and specifically to be more intentional with faith when it comes to our kids. How do we raise them in a way that they would know the hope that they have in Jesus? So these are some of the rhythms rhythms that make us, us. And we've felt that as a church here in Doxedo Hatfield, as part of the Doxedo family, we want to take the next four weeks and we want to stand still around some of the values and rhythms and visionary elements that make us who we are, that make us, us. And in the multi-ethnic way that we want to do this, we want to say, man, some of these things, they make us who we are. They are the Tina, the Rona, the Ons. They are the us. And we want to say every week as we kind of investigate each of these, we want to ask you to open up your heart and say, what would it mean for me to actually find myself within that? How do we engage as a family together? This is who we are. And today, before we get into rhythms like community and things like this, we want to speak about the most foundational rhythm in the global church. Without this, nothing else that we do will make sense. If we speak about everything else without having this in our hearts, nothing will make sense. So to set the stage for that, I've been thinking about this for quite a while and that is, why do we have such an innate, I want to say the word obsession, uh, you know, interest in superheroes and their origin stories? Why is it that 
modern people are so captivated by these. And I think one of the reasons that I've come to, and I think there are many, but one of them is that I think we see these mythical figures and it feels like they live lives of such incredible purpose. They have this, this vision for their lives and for their existence that so transcends all of our just mundane living. It feels like they have a vision for what they're supposed to do that's captivating. And yet, I think it speaks to us because I think more than any other age in history, us as modern people, we wrestle so mightily with this question, what is the purpose and the goal of my life? What does it mean for me to actually exist here with purpose and with something that transcends just the day-to-day -day mundane living? Why am I here? I was reading recently when an author was saying that he was at Oxford University attending this business lecture, and the main speaker was a very, very accomplished, one of the richest people in the world, and this guy was speaking about his success in business. And he said, as this man was speaking, you could see almost the determination on his face. This is a man who had been grafting for many decades of his life. And he said, he was saying the following. He said, as you know, I've been very fortunate in my career, and I've made a lot of money, far more than I ever dreamed of, far more than I could ever spend, and far more than my family needs. And he said, but as he said that, there was this crack in his voice, and the kind of determination on his face just gave way for a second, and there was this single tear that just kind of rolled down his cheek. And he said the following, the, the one thing I've never been able to hire anyone for, to pay someone for, is this to find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. And he said, I quote, I would give anything to discover that. I would give anything to find that capital P purpose in my life. What is the thing that I am here to do? Why am I here? And I think deep in the heart of every single human being, there is this desire to know, what is it that I'm to give myself to? Is there a purpose for me being here? And the, and the reality is that all other standards of success, if, if it's wealth, if it's friendship, if it's career and status and sexual pleasure, all these things, all of those things, they become so thin and so hollow if I don't find a true sense of purpose. Nothing else makes sense if I don't. And the reality is that challenge, that confrontation of what is your purpose, what is the reason for your living, I think it comes to us in waves of life. Every now and then, I'm confronted with it anew at every single age. So I think teenagers are often confronted by this at the end of their high school career, when suddenly it feels like, oh man, there are so many options. It's almost overwhelming for me to, to think about the things that I am confronted with to do. I think very often the, the students in university, they at the end of their careers are studying, you know, all the starry-eyed thinking of, wow, you know, the world's my oyster. Suddenly that is turned around in sheer fear <laughs> when you realize, man, if I choose this door, I am closing the other one. I think people, you know, let's say 25 to 35, they often find themselves confronted with this question of purpose again, when all, you know, the beautiful and pipe dreamy things of this is what my parents wanted me to do, and this is what my peers have chosen, and all the allure of money and, you know, career, when that is suddenly replaced by just the daily grind, and you start asking yourself, is this what I am meant to do? I think people in their middle ages, 
I think they come to the point where they're saying, listen, I have been grafting at this for quite a while now, but almost the mismatch in my skill set to my work once again makes me ask, is this what I'm meant to do for the rest of my life? I think parents very often, when kids finally leave their homes, they are confronted with this question, man, what am I going to pour myself into now? What's my purpose? And I think people 55 and beyond very often, especially if they've had great success financially, they often confronted with this purpose question when they realize, but what about legacy? Yes, what about significance? Yes, I've in a sense gotten so much of what I've wanted and yet it feels so strangely empty. Every single person is wrestling at every age with a question of purpose, of fulfillment. Why am I here? And the scary thing is that even the one tool that we have that gives us, you know, access to truth in terms of the how of our world better than anything else, science, I think science is so ineffective when it comes to answering this question. Science is the best tool that we have when it comes to the how questions of the world around us. And yet I think science is like bringing a feather to a gunfight when it comes to the true questions of why. So, so Peter... Medawa, he's this pioneer scientist. He was a Nobel Prize laureate, and he was often called the father of heart transplantation. And he writes this. Obviously, this is a man of deep scientific insight and love for the scientific endeavor, and yet he says, the existence of a limit to science is made clear in its what? Inability to answer childlike elementary questions such as why does everything exist? Why? What are we here for? And what is the purpose of living? Not even our best tool for the, for the how of life is able to answer the why. So what do we do? And I want to put all my cards on the table right here and say, I think the reason, the answer, the direction we need to go in is coming to the realization that if there is no God, then there is no true purpose to life. Yes, we can make up purpose. We can do that. As secular people, we can decide. I have purpose in this moment. I make meaning for myself, but I have to face, like philosophers over the ages, the reality that when I die and those that I love die, that meaning and purpose dies with them. And if one day the heat death of the universe wipes all of humanity out, then all of that supposed purpose meant absolutely nothing. Now, this is not an argument for God, but if there were a God, just think about this for a moment, it means that that God is the only source to the answer of why. Why am I here? What am I to do? What is the true meaning and purpose of my life? How would I find and fulfill that? I believe that can only be answered in the heart and the voice of the Creator. There is no higher way for the human heart to operate, for the human you know, condition to be met by something greater than to hear the voice of God speaking and saying yes to that. You know what that leads to? If I say yes to the call of God, it means that whatever direction I was going in in life, whatever dreams and desires and hopes and fears that I had, if God the Creator calls... And he says in a powerful way, this is my purpose for your life. If I respond to that, it means that I then reorient every single element of my life. 
my hope, my joy, my resources, my sexuality, my finances, my work, what excites me, what, what scares me, I reorient every single facet that I am in alignment with God's vision for thriving, God's vision for what He's doing, God's standards for success, God's pathways of joy. Now everything is oriented to what He says. Here you will find joy and purpose and fulfillment. Friends, I want to say I think there is a great call that God is sending out, has been sending out. The, the ancient of days has been sending out these pulses to the human race, saying, answer the call of your true purpose and fulfillment. Now, this is everywhere in the Bible. So I can't even survey that today, but I want to give you one example that I think is almost the archetype of God calling and us responding. So in Genesis 11, we're introduced to this person called Abraham. And we see, it says there in Genesis 11, that his father Terah, they had been living in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And then it just says basically, you know, that this man, Abraham, he was at that stage quite, you know, he had been progressed in life, I guess. But he was comfortable. He was, he was in a prominent family. They were a bunch of sun-worshipping pagans moving throughout the desert. And life was well and established for him. And at that very moment, that's all the detail we have about him. And then in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it's almost like this interruption in the narrative. It simply says this. Read with me. The Lord said to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth, this is already tapping into the, the vision with Jesus, will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. This is such a profound moment. For the, for the human race, for the history of who we are, why? Because it is the first time in such clear terms that we see almost these two great movements of God all throughout history. And the first movement we see is so personal. What is that? And God said, He spoke, He called Abraham. And where did He call him first? Not to a place, not to something or some place, but to someone to himself. God calls him into relationship. Abraham, you, the polytheist, the sun worshiper, wandering in the desert, I want to come and show you there is one true God, Yahweh. I call you to myself. And it's so personal. It's not through some messenger or some angel or your writing in the sky. This is God speaking so intimately to this man. And he calls him. The first great movement is this calling to relationship. The place of absolute fulfillment for the human heart. To find yourself in relationship, in restored relationship with your creator and your king. But then the second movement, what is that? We see immediately, he has brought Abraham into relationship. And then what does he do? He sends him out. 
He sends him to go and be a representative of him. He says, first movement, yes, I am going to bless you. I'm going, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to enter into covenant relationship with you. But then I'm going to send you out and you will be a blessing to all people around you. I will bring my blessing, in fact, through you. Friends, these are the two great movements of God all throughout history. We could almost summarize the heart of God for mankind. What is the great call that God has for mankind in these two statements so simply? It's to live in relationship with God, and it's to live as a representative of God. This is the great call that every human heart finds its truest fulfillment in. To live firstly in relationship with God. To find joy and redemption and peace and hope. To find life in that, in relationship with God. And from that place to be sent out as a representative of God. In fact, later the writers of the Hebrews in the New Testament, when he will reflect on this moment, this calling of Abraham, He'll say in Hebrews 11 verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, the personal, the intimate, the, the family, the bringing in, what does he say about that? When he was called, he obeyed and he set out. It was always these two things, and we see that all throughout the Bible. These two great movements of God and mankind. Adam and Eve are created and called into relationship. And then they are commissioned and sent out to care and cultivate for creation. We see Moses called into relationship with God. And then he is sent out as God's mouthpiece to free the people of Israel. We see Paul, this, this deeply religious man who has his life absolutely changed on the road to Damascus as Jesus calls him into relationship with God. He brings him in, and then he sends him out as his missionary to the non-Jewish people. And Jesus, the embodiment of God, the one that I believe is not just a good teacher or a good man or a good example, I actually believe that he was God incarnate, God in the flesh, the American preacher says, God in a bard. He was the one who came to show us the fullness of God. What does he do with his disciples? Listen to this. Matthew 4 verse 19. He says, come and not just hear about me. Don't just come and read. Don't just come and study. He says this so personally. Come and follow me. Come and know me. Come in to relationship and then what? And I will send you to fish for people. These are the two great movements that God is accomplishing in every single season of mankind's existence. And all throughout the Old and the New Testament, those moments we have recorded for our almost instruction, we see these two things happening. God bringing in and God sending out. Creating a family that goes on mission together. It's almost as if the kingdom is breathing in and then the kingdom is breathing out. He gathers us as one, and then he scatters us as many. He saves and he sends. He says, I will bless you, and then you will be a blessing. In fact, I will bring my blessing through you. Friends, this is the great pulse that's being sent out to every human heart in every age. This is the great call that God has for every willing human heart. 
I think this is the cosmic story. This is the great call. This is the global project that God is calling each and every one of you to. That you would know God in relationship and that you would represent God in every facet of your life. There is a great calling. And today I want to encourage you very simply. Today's sermon is not a go and do A, B, and C. Today is a sermon that I'm asking you to elevate the vision for your own life for a second. To almost take a bird's eye view, see yourself for a moment, and say, God, what would it mean if I expanded the horizon of what you could possibly want to do through and in me? What would it mean, and this is my question to you today, if you were to be taken up your life and everything in your life, your passion, your excitement, your skill set, what God has put in you, your resources, your hope, if you were to be taken up fully into the great call of God, what would it look like if your life got so absorbed into these two great movements to be part of the family of God and to be sent out in every single second of your life as a representative of God? This is a lengthy passage, but I think it's so powerful. Read with me. Os Guinness speaks about calling, and he says, Your life is not an accident. God wanted you to be. How then are you searching for purpose in your life, your own ultimate why for everything that you do, for a purpose big enough to absorb every ounce of your attention, deep enough to plumb every mystery of your passion, Lasting enough to inspire you until your last breath on earth. Nothing, absolutely nothing is more powerful, more intimate, more important than to listen to the call of our Creator God and to realign ourselves to the very purpose of life by following His call wherever it leads. That is powerful. God is saying, imagine today your life taken up in the great call of God, your Father. And you know where that starts? It starts by putting God at the center of everything in your life. To say, God, I'm removing myself as the main actor in the movie called me, and I'm putting you at the very center of that, God. I say yes to whatever you call to. And you know what that does? You know what the result is of when I do that in my life? A couple of things. It means that the boredom that can set in, even when you have so much of what you've been running up the mountain to try and achieve, the boredom of life is replaced by this absolute sheer sense of adventure, saying, God, what would it mean to say yes when you call? It means that the self-centeredness of the culture wanting to impose upon you, live for self, be for self, you do you, that's replaced by the self-sacrificing posture that says, God, if you call, if you say, if you envision, I say yes. It means that the smallness that sometimes sets in with my life, God, my life feels small, it feels insignificant. That is replaced by this enormity of what God is doing, saying, I want to take you up into that. It means that the gifting that God has given you, while at times in your life, if I live simply for the here and now for self, it means you are using like 10% of what God has given you to simply get through work, 
to simply get a husband or a wife and just exist and breathe for a couple of decades. Whereas God is saying, if you trust me, if you fully step into family, fully say yes to mission, I am going to ring out and show you every ounce of the passion and gifting that I've put inside you. Because every, anything less than that will not do for what I have called you to. It means that I'm, instead of having this very short-sightedness, you know, this is just what I'm living for, there's this eternal perspective that, God, what I do in this life is going to echo into the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And it means that if I'm just wastefully spending my time and my treasures and my talents on simply the here and now, that's replaced by this mindset of wise investment. God, I want to invest in your kingdom and in your family. And finally, I think instead of just it being God, if I can just get to retirement and then rest, it's replaced by this thought saying, God, I want to live to the absolute maximum potential and passion that you have for me to the very last day of my life. Can you imagine just for one second today what it would mean if you were to be taken up in the great call of God? to live in relationship with Him on a daily basis, maybe even on a moment-by-moment basis, and to say, God, I'm saying yes to be also sent out, to be a blessing, to be your representative in every area of my life. Now, we've spoken about this before, just to help you with a bit of practical just handle here. But Dr. Art Lindsay says when he speaks about these, these callings of our life, he says there's a primary calling and then there's a particular calling for each of us. And the primary calling, this is the calling into relationship. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit who's calling out to the heart of humankind saying, I'm calling you into relationship with your creator through Jesus. Friends, there is no, there is no, 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 no way that you will ever find true fulfillment and joy without Jesus. That is my absolute conviction. You will never find the true sense of satisfaction and hope if you've not answered the call of the Spirit to say, come and lay down your sin and brokenness and death. Take up Jesus in faith and be born again to new life. There's a calling to say, not just know about God, not just go to church, not just try and be a good person. But know God, know God through Jesus. That's the primary calling, to be adopted into his family, to be restored to new life, to have your identity set in who he is. That's why 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Romans 1.6 says, You have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful, for you were called by Him into fellowship with His Son. That's so personal. There is a calling that every human heart needs to respond to when the God of the creation that you find yourself in says, I'm calling you to true fulfillment. Guys, it's like literally sitting in a sandpit. Who remembers those days in pre-primary? Man, it would suck when you had to go home because you were like, it was like, it's like Dubai. You had this whole project in mind. And it's like, now I need to go home. But that's cute when you're five years old, right? But if I'm 35 and I'm still sitting in that sandpit every day, that's a sad reality because I don't know the absolute stupendous beauty of the world beyond that sandpit. There's so much more. There's so much more, like Netflix. Or, you know, there's so much more, like Krispy Kreme donuts. No, I'm just kidding. There's so much more. 
And it's as if God is saying, if you try and find simply in sex status, money, career, and family, if you try and find fulfillment in that, you are sitting in the sandpit. These are good things, but they're not God things. They will never truly satisfy you. There is a calling into relationship. There's a calling into the family of God. But then, Odlins, he says, there's the particular calling, each and every one of you. For us as a church collectively, we have a particular calling. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are His workmanship. Guys, salvation, relationship with God, restoration, being born again, it's not something that you did. God says, I have done that in Jesus. You are my workmanship. There's, a, there's such a pride in the heart of God to say, this son, this daughter, I have done this. I've redeemed them. But why did he do that? He said, you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. In fact, I have prepared these things beforehand for you. Each and every one of you, you have a life of sending, of breathing out, of going, of being a blessing in the very work that you find yourself maybe in, in the vocation and skill set, in the city and town and life phase that God says, I am going to work so powerfully through you. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his light. God is saying, even, you know, the word even for church in the Greek, ecclesia, it literally means the called out ones so that we can go. You know what the city of Pretoria needs more than anything, more than a well-functioning government, more than education, more than any other thing, more than the potholes to be fixed, and amen to that. What we need is a church who embraces the breathing in and the breathing out of God's kingdom. He says, God, you have called us and restored us, and we know you not by implication, but by person, and you have sent us. Monday mornings is the greatest moment for the church. You have sent us. You know, to answer that call, what does that mean for you? It means you actually need to step out in faith. It means I need to step out and you think faith means taking a crazy risk, right? That's what faith means in the Bible. Just do something crazy because Jesus will catch me. That's not faith. If you read the Bible, faith is closer to the two words that we understand well. Trust and obedience. That's faith. When he speaks, God, I trust you and I obey. If you go to Hebrews 11, that's that famous passage on, on faith, the hall of faith, it's often called. Listen to what some of these individuals, what the result is of that. It says, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he went out. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Moses chose to suffer with his people, and he left Egypt behind by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies. For me to say yes to the great call of God means to say, God, I trust you enough with every day of my life. Not a single decade of my life in the breathing, in calling in and sending out of God will be a, a decade wasted. In fact, every day that I reject and I sidestep this dual calling of God is a day that I will deeply regret because God has so much more. Guys, just imagine for a moment today your life taken up into the great call 
of God. Step out of the sandpit and say in faith, I trust you, God. Maybe you've been, I just, just as I'm standing here, I just have the sense that maybe you've been making so many decisions in the last two, three years of your life, not having anything to do with the call of God upon your life, but simply because of what the culture around you is saying is important. What is the calling of God? So to finish off, the, the story goes, one evening, 1787, this young British member of parliament is sitting and he's poring over these documents by candlelight in his study. And the reason is he has been tasked, this young man named William Wilberforce, he's been tasked to stand before the House of Commons in parliament and bring a suggestion, bring his version of what it would mean to abolish the British slave trade. And you have to understand at that point, almost every country in the world was engaged in this. It was the water that the British people swam in. And most of them saw this as, an, as, a, as a very unpleasant but necessary thing for the economy. Can you imagine that? But here's a man who said, I do not agree with that. And listen to what he said the next day in Parliament. He said, so enormous and so dreadful and so irredeemable is the slave trade's wickedness that my own mind is completely made up for abolition. It must come to an end. And he says, let the consequences be what they may. People said, but this is how we prop up our economy. And he said, so be it. He said, I from this time have determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. Here is a man who at the age of 25 had his life so radically transformed by Jesus, he was called into the place of relationship. And as he was wrestling with what does that mean, he said, I realize I'm not called to be a pastor or a missionary. I have been called to politics. That is where I'm a pastor. You might be a pastor today of business or of education or of your household. He said, I know that I've been called into the realm of politics. As I'm breathing into the family of God, when I breathe out, it's in the realm of politics. Maybe this morning you are a poet, programmer, painter, plumber, pediatrician. Where is the space where you are meant to breathe out? And listen to this. Maybe we think, well, this is great because God called them to this. And I'm sure it was all swimming. It was, so, it was easy, you know, just the, the way was straight for him. It was all great. No, it wasn't. It was 50 years of his life that he fought this fight. And he fought this against some of the greatest names of the day. Almost the whole royal family was against this. All the great merchant powers of the day were against this. In fact, twice in his life, he was ambushed and beaten almost to an inch of his life for this. Why? He wrote this a couple of months later in his journal. He said, God Almighty, the one that I know, he said, he has set before me two great objects, the abolition of the slave trade and the reformation of the morals of my people. The God who has saved me has sent me. He has set before me. Guys, can you just imagine today, what would it mean for your life to be taken up into the great call of God? What we do as a church, friends, 
it would make no sense if firstly I don't say, God, yes to your family and yes, God, to mission, community and serving and the city and reaching the lost and healing the pain and restoring what's broken. All of that will be empty religion if we don't say, God, I answer the call. Guys, if you ask me who we are, this is us. This is Tina. This is Rona. <laughs> this is Ons. This is us. A people who say, yes, God. And a people who say, yes, God. Imagine your life taken up in the call of family and mission. Let's pray. God, I want to pray this morning that you would come and just break down walls. That you would come and call, God, to the very depth of people's souls this morning. And that we would not answer, God, just to religion, just to some better Sunday rhythms, but that we would be so captivated by the calling of Jesus. May you come and make alive this morning. God, may you come and broaden the horizons of people's lives this morning. God, give us the grace and the strength to say yes to what you want to do. We honor you, Jesus, and we love you. And in your name we pray.